Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Minding My Own Mind. This is Michelle, and today we have Maurice on to talk to us about his new book and his life journey. So I'll first let Maurice introduce himself. Hi, Maurice. Hey, it's uh, it's good to be talking to you today. Um, I guess the way I can introduce myself, I'm an author. Uh, I'm a life purpose, life coach, uh, a motivational speaker. And uh, yeah, I've got a new book out, and I'm just, I'm excited to talk to people, to help people, and to try to make a difference. Awesome. Awesome. So first, uh, let's talk about you. So tell me a little bit about your background and what got you into this stage of your life. Mm, Oh, that's a good question. What got me into this stage? Um, I like to say that every past stage prepared you for the stage you're on, right? And so um, I actually spent most of my 20s on stages. Um, I was a musician um, and traveled around the the United States and won some awards and worked with Emmy winners and Grammy winners. And 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 my, my resume was impressive, but my life was anything but. Um, I was depressed, anxious, frustrated. And the majority of the issues I was having, honestly, I had a lot of childhood trauma. Um, I had some some early 20s drama that really pulled me down and had an effect on me. And so I would say that I, I went from that season of my life to a season of just depression and being suicidal and being in a very dark place. And I, I, I like to say I hit a rock bottom moment um, where I just, I didn't really want to go on anymore. And I kind of had a place where you either have to change, you have to heal, you have to deal with your stuff, or you're probably going to live the rest of your life not living. And, and I was at that juncture and I, I chose life. I chose to heal. And so once I started to see my own transformation, I really felt led to start helping other people do the same thing. And that's really where I'm at in my, on the stage that I'm on now. Mm, yes. Love it. And I'm going to jump right into it because you said some really good things there. Um, I definitely wanted to just address talking about that impressive resume life, how we live so much of our life. I talk a lot about identity work with trying to be impressive, right? We, mm-hmm. we want that social admiration. And I don't mm-hmm. think that that's an issue, but when it's not what you chose or it's not what actually aligns with you, then it's not going to put you into the right space. You had the resume, but you were in this depression. Can you mm-hmm. expand a bit more on that? Absolutely. Well, you said a couple key words there, obviously. Uh, identity. When, when, when exactly is it that you become a good person? Like, what do you have to accomplish so you're actually successful? What does that look like? If, if I wake up tomorrow morning and somebody puts me on a national TV show in front of a million people, am I successful then because they gave me the invite or was I already successful because of who I was? Right. Mm-hmm. And so what you realize is we're always looking outside of ourselves for some sort of validation or some sort of belief in ourselves. The key is, The person who stares me back in the mirror is the first one who has to love me. That's the first one that has to accept me. That's the first one that has to champion me. And so the more that I learned how to love the guy in the mirror, and the more that I love to say, you know what? You've got good qualities. You've got great things about you. Your resume is who you are, not what you do. The more that I've believed that, the more that I've seen my life change. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are. What you do is a product or a byproduct of who you are. And so if you're broken, if you're toxic, then you'll do good things, but you'll have a little bit of extra. You know, you're, you're the person that accomplishes stuff, but they're not sure if they want to call you. 
yeah, mm-hmm. I, know, I know he could come and he could speak well, but there's going to be some drama with it, right? Do you want to be the person who is toxic and talented? Or do you want to be the person who people look forward to talking to because who you are changes them before the interview, during the interview, after the interview, or whatever it is that you do. Not everybody does interviews, whatever you do in life. You Mm -hmm. want to make sure that people are benefiting from you being you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I was just thinking of how you said that if you have the resume, but you are not healed, basically, then mm-hmm. you're going to project that in some way, shape or form, even if your resume is good. So you come in and you're like, here are the things I can do, but it's something that's always not clicking. It's because you're also projecting the part that you're not clicking with, with yourself, within mm-hmm. yourself. So when you are working on yourself and healing and becoming fully who you are and dealing with your own issues, you're not projecting your issues onto other people. We always talk about how I talk a lot about projections and mm-hmm. people are like, oh, they're projecting their insecurities on me. Yeah. But what are you projecting on them? There Do you ever is. consider that? Right. <laughs> so you talked about how you were in rock bottom and that's where you started your journey. Mm-hmm. This is usually something I would ask later on, but I feel like it's appropriate now. <laughs> what would you tell someone to get them if you were trying to convince them, of course, we don't need to convince people to change. They have to choose that on their own. But if we were trying to get them closer to that ready point to change, what would you tell someone so that they can start their change before they hit rock bottom? Mm, before they hit rock bottom. Before they hit rock bottom. It's mm, a good question. I would tell you that you're never going to feel ready to change. But whenever you change, it will always be now. So in other words, it has something to do with um, the understanding that anytime I'm, I'm living, anytime I'm doing something, I'm doing it now. And so you're going to have to change now. And so when, when oh, well, in the future, then, then I'll get better. Well, the problem is when the future comes, the future is now and you never feel ready now. And so the key is that you have to learn. I have the ability to change something right now. Well, Maurice, what do you mean? I've been stuck for a long time. Right in this moment, you can challenge a negative mindset. In this moment, you can reach out to somebody to get help. In this moment, you can do a journal entry. Like this is the moment where all of your potential is. And so if you embrace the moment you're in, you realize it's not as impossible for you to change as well as, as you think it is. One thing I've said many times about rock bottom if you do hit rock bottom, I consider it a steady foundation to change your life. Like if you hit the bottom, it means your feet are on the ground. So stand up. If you're not to rock bottom yet, then you have to find gratitude in your heart. Like, wow, I've been through so much. I've been wrecked. I've been, I've been distraught and I'm still really strong enough to not be at rock bottom. I should be thankful for that and let that be a catalyst to change. It, it's mm-hmm. whatever it takes for you to be driven. I can't tell a person, right? Th- this is the one, two, three formula of how you change. Like everybody wants to bottle it, can it and sell it. But the reality is your change is about you. So you have to find something inside that says, hey, e- even though it ain't perfect, at least it's not as bad as it could be. Maybe I need to change before it gets worse. I think that's the key. Yes, absolutely. So many great things there. And I love how we can coach ourselves while we're talking. Like you're sitting there and then I'm (laughs) like, yeah, man, there's so many things that we, I always talk about like, okay, you could wait, but what is waiting going to do for you? Mm. And you won't ever be fully ready to really do anything. And if 
by the time you think you're fully ready, it's probably past its opportune moment. That's it. Uh, so you have to choose what you want. And choosing is the difference. Choosing what you're going to do to proceed. I think that what one of the keys that you really said there too was you have to know that there's a choice in it. When you're in the midst of feeling like you're in a spiral, it doesn't feel like there's any choices there. I, I can't choose anything. Life is choosing it all for me. Are you sure? Sometimes what we're doing is that we're just laying down and letting life just keep kicking us while we're down. And, and so what, what you have to learn is that you are actually making choices. No, maybe you didn't choose to have negative thoughts come in, but you chose what to do after they came. You didn't choose to have this person hurt you, but you do choose how you react to the hurt. And so you even telling a person that they're choosing, I think that that gives a person empowerment even in and of itself. Absolutely. I was talking recently, I had an episode on one of our greatest fears is taking responsibility mm. and choosing that you have a choice and understanding and accepting that you have a choice is taking responsibility because mm. now it's up to you. Once you've chosen that you're going to accept responsibility for your life, now it's up to you to go make the difference. And mm. what our biggest fear is to deny that we're just trying to push it away and push it away. And that's going against you're basically in denial, but it still doesn't take away the fact that it's still your choice. You're choosing to be in denial. Yes. Right. So that's the waking up. That's the awakening, the enlightenment, because it's like, oh, I am in control of my life. Life isn't happening to me. I am choosing that this is the life. This is the outside that's going to happen. Well, I, th I think what you're really talking about is perspective. If mm -hmm. I'm staring at the, th there are some things in life I can't control. I can't control what time the sun comes up. I'm not going to be controlling what time the sun comes down. Um, I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. Let's be very clear. They run this house. Okay. And so like, I'd be thinking I'm controlling some stuff until they get an attitude. And I realize I, I'm not, I'm not in control of a whole lot of things in my life, but there's this point of understanding. You have to control the controllables. Mm -hmm. You have to control the things that are in your control and understanding what is and is not in your control. That's wisdom. Mm -hmm. right? Wisdom is when I realize this thing over here, I don't need to touch. I just need to make peace with it. This thing over here, I keep choosing to do the wrong thing or keep choosing to do the thing that takes me into a deeper, darker place. I have to choose differently there. Um, I've always loved, um, you know, I'm, I'm in the, the recovery world, in the addiction world. And so they, they always do the serenity prayer. Grant me the serenity mm -hmm. to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can the wisdom to know the difference. I've often said, if you're fighting battles with something that is unchangeable, you're wasting all of your fight and you're wasting all of your energy. You're screaming because the sun's coming out. You can't stop it, but you can stop your attitude. You can mm -hmm. stop your negativity. You can, you can stop running from the things that, that are haunting you in your life. Those are the choices you have to make. And every time you choose those things, you find that positive choices have momentum. When I make a few positive choices, it then gets easier to make the next positive choice, or at least gives you more strength or more courage to make the next positive choice. So I think that understanding the momentum of our choices and the trajectory of our choices, it makes a huge impact on our lives. Absolutely. I think, wow, so many great things you just said there. And especially with the momentum, it's practicing basically is how I also call it. It's like, Go practice making the choices. Go practice the things. And people are like, oh, I didn't choose to keep going down the hole. And it's like, yeah, but you 
you, well, one, you did choose to keep going and you, you chose to not stop it. You're, uh-huh. You have to choose one. You have to take the responsibility of choice because it's going to be their reality or not. Absolutely. And then you're going to have to choose to stop it. You have to choose to put the brakes on. We can sit in the car and put it in neutral and keep rolling, but you have to choose to put the brakes on or to turn the wheel to go a different direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so one other thing I really love, and man, this is something great talking about circumstances and your Mm. identity, Mm -hmm. right? So one thing you said earlier had me thinking about how people often will let the circumstances define them. So Mm. they'll be like, these things happen to me. We can't control some of our, a lot of our circumstances. Mm -hmm. We can control how we react to things, but we can't control them. But when you're in that rock bottom place and you're like, these things happen to me and they helped build me into who I am, you can let it build you into who you are without making it your identity. You don't have to hold on to, I am a trauma victim forever. You can be like, I had this happen to me. That's it. That's it. I, um, I said in my new book, it's not what happens to you that defines you. It's how you react to what, defi- what you've been through that defines you. And so, yes, you, you've been through some trauma, some drama, some pain in your life. If you continue to stare at the past and you become encompassed by the past and you, and, and you feel like you're in a prison cell of your past, then yes, your past defines you because you're walking around like you're in prison. The, mm-hmm. the key is to understand that when I look around the room that I'm interviewing in, I'm free. The, thing, the things that have, that have me stuck in my mind aren't in this room. And so how I, can, how, I, how I react to what I've been through is everything. It's not that you're not acknowledging that you've been through hard times. It's actually fully acknowledging that I've been through it, but it doesn't have to keep me captive anymore. I can learn from what I've been through. I can heal from what I've been through. I can grow. Yeah, but Maurice, how do you, how do you heal from something that hurts so much? Well, I didn't say you wouldn't have scars. I said you don't have to have wounds. See, there's a difference between a wound and a scar. A wound is still open, right? A wound mm-hmm. is still something that, you know, it's, it's so hurtful to the touch. A scar is something where it's healed over. When you look at it, you know it's still there and you still have evidence you've been through something. See, I'm the evidence of having lived through things, not having died through things. Like when you become the evidence of something, that is the critical juncture where then you help the people around you. Because now, because you remember what you've been through and you healed from it, when your kid has a problem, when your spouse has a problem, when your coworker has a problem, they will look to you and say, well, how did you do it? And how, because now they believe they have more faith inside that they can do it because you're the evidence it's possible. And so I, I don't think that scars are a terrible thing. I think wounds are. Absolutely. I love, I love, love, love that analogy. That's such a great one. Oh, very, very nice. <laughs> so I, d- I don't even have anything to add to that. That's just so good. Don't make it, you don't walk around saying, here's my scar every time. It mm-hmm. actually reminds me of that game where you put the the forehead, you put a name oh, the on, card your on your forehead. forehead. <laughs> yeah. And you basically, the way the game works is that you're in a group of friends or whatever, and you have something like a post-it and you stick a name everyone writes down a character. So it could be like Cleopatra or it could be like Bernie Sanders or something. And you stick it on your forehead where you can't see it, but everyone else can see it. It's almost as if you were putting that your traumas on that card and saying, this is who I am. This is who I am. This is my name tag for the Mm -hmm. evening, but for life until I decide that this is not who I am. Mm -hmm. But I really love the scars and wounds analogy because 
Why would you walk around with wounds? Don't you want to heal them? Right. Some people don't wants to proceed (laughs) because, because they can get sympathy, even if they're not giving, getting sympathy from themselves. I'm not always saying that it's a, an attack on getting attention, Mm. but you're choosing to not heal. So Mm -hmm. it seems illogical when you think about it in that way, that you would ever want to walk through life with open wounds. Mm -hmm. I think that that's why people sometimes have a hard time getting help because whenever you have to be okay. There's a there's a saying. This is going to be un, this is going to be unpopular for some people who are listening. Um, there's a saying that I hate that everybody says. Um, I hate the whole concept of live your truth. Okay, mm-hmm. and here's why: um, if your truth is not fully rooted in the truth, then you're living a lie. And so what happens is people start to convince themselves of a story. You convince yourself that you're, you're not doing these things for attention. You're doing these things because of what you've been through and how it affected you. And, and, you, and you have all these reasons and rationales as to why you do what you do. Well, the problem is over time, if anybody tries to confront you to help you change, if anybody tries to counsel you, therapize you, coach you, what happens is automatic resistance comes up because they're trying to challenge your truth. Yeah, but what if part of your truth is a lie? Part of what if you don't think you're choosing to stay stuck, but because stuck is a comfortable place, you're choosing to stay comfortable because the unknown is frightening. Like, what does healing look like? What would does healing mean that I that I would no longer acknowledge what I've been through? Does healing mean that I would no longer grieve the things that I've lost? Does healing mean and, and so like there's a list a mile long. So people think that healing is denial. Mm. Healing is not denial. Healing is acceptance. Healing says, no, hold on a second. You're right. You have been through those things. But the lie you've been telling yourself is that the behaviors you're walking in life with are acceptable because the unacceptable happened. That part's Mm -hmm. not true. It's not acceptable that you're still broken, even though unacceptable things happen to you. You get Mm -hmm. to heal. Like you get to grow past this. What is growing past it? Look, I don't know, but you can do it. And I think that's, that's the key. That's the real truth. The truth is you've, yes, broken things happen to you, but you stayed stuck. And, mm-hmm. and it's, that's not to beat people up. It's to say, hey, but, but why don't you try to experience what it looks like to get on the other side of this thing? Mm-hmm. It's like you're walking with a crutch and you're like refusing to get rid of the crutch. You're right. using it as a crutch, but you don't even know it. And I think this is something that us as coaches that we definitely know about is sometimes it's your blind spot. Like mm-hmm. we all have them. Even coaches have coaches because come it'll be on, like, I need someone to see the blind spot. I work on myself all the time. I am definitely working Tell on myself. Truth. But I listened to a podcast the other day and I was like, oh, Michelle, you are not progressing in the thing because <laughs> you are, a, a, what was it? Risk avoidant. And I was like, thank Ooh. you for that podcast. I had a nice outside perspective. And that's the thing. You need sometimes someone to come in and point that thing out to you. But if you think you're so healed that you can't heal more, well, it's a consistent thing. You're going on a road trip of life. You're not going to one final destination. And that's why it's a journey. So Let's go. Yes, that's yes. exactly. It. Um, I have, and in you are, I'm sure, are the same way. I have a mentor, and my mentor kicks my butt. 
Right. And so what happens is, you know, when, when we do what we do as coaches, you know, we have these moments of, of speaking life to people and, and taking people to task to help them change. Well, when somebody does it to you, it don't feel good, but you understand that's the circle and evolution of the process. So I, I think everybody has to have somebody in their life who says, hold on, why did you just do that? Why did you just say those words? Well, you're overthink, you're overanalyzing my words. No, I'm listening to your words. And your words are telling me a lot about what's happening in your heart. Are you going to change? Are you going to heal? Are you going to keep avoiding it? Um, and that's, that's, yes, that is how my mentor sounds. She sounds just like that. Um, yeah. And so at the end of the day, um, the key is you cannot change all by yourself. You know, I know that this is a self-help world, um, and I think technically one of the categories of my book is probably Christian self-help, but one of the first things I say in my book is self-help is, is not going to work for you. Like, if you really want to change, you're going to need other people's perspectives, you're going to need other people's wisdom, other people's techniques, there's going to be something you're going to need, even if it's just your family members and your friends and, and your loved ones who know you well, you can't do this in a vacuum and you can't do this all alone because you're going to, because you have blind spots. That's that word you said. We all have blind spots. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think, I mean, we've all tried to do it on our own and I encourage people to get some kind of outside thing, whether it's therapy. I personally had a lot of hypnotherapy done because I'm mm -hmm. also a hypnotherapist mm -hmm. and I basically could see all these things and get support within that same group. Mm -hmm. And then, so find someone, whether it's a friend. I mean, the thing with friends is that they're a bit more, um, they're a bit more, they have more biases versus yes. having yes. someone fully on the outside, but who cares about you in a different way can give you more guidance and see the exact situations a lot more clearly and less with bias. Yes, I agree. And one thing that I, I will say, and, and hopefully this will help someone who's listening. One thing that is important is if you're going to go to a family member or a friend with your problems. This, this is something I teach a lot, um, especially with my counseling, uh, my counseling clients with addiction. The people in your life don't actually have to understand what you're going through. They have to understand you. Sometimes what happens is a person will come up to you and they'll say, hey, you've been off for a while. You're, you're not focused. You're, you're not getting things done like you need to. You, you need to address this. And you go, you don't understand what I'm going through and you'll never be, you're insensitive to well, hold on. They don't understand what you're going through, but they just understood you. They understood something was wrong and they understood that what is wrong is affecting what you would like to do when you're right. And so sometimes what we have to do is we have to take those moments of enlightenment that come from friends and family and we have to take those and put those into our, our life filter. Okay, they gave me some truth that I didn't want to hear, but it was the truth. No, it doesn't sound the same as my therapist who understands what I'm going through. It doesn't sound the same as my life coach who's been there, but they do understand me. So it's almost like I have to act differently with every person that I interact with when I'm trying to change, mm -hmm. right? If that makes sense. In other words, I, I, talk to, I would talk to my therapist differently than I talk to my wife. She come, my wife has a different level of expertise. She doesn't always understand what I'm going through. My wife is a very different human than me, but she knows me better than anybody on planet earth. So do I need her to understand what I'm going through or understand me? Mm. See, that, that, goes is back deep. To, that goes back to identity, right? If yes. you are you and they understand you, then they know what they need to know. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that's a, a huge thing.
Yeah. And also separating roles in your healing, like not everyone is going to understand you. And in the same way, you have friends that serve different purposes in your life. You mm -hmm. have people that serve different purposes in your life. So you That's don't it. have to expect your spouse or significant other to be your therapist. Mm -hmm. They can support you for sure, but they don't have to do everything for you. And in a way you need to have certain boundaries with who you're dealing with instead of forcing someone to take on all the roles because they can't take on all the roles. No, they can't. That, that'll crush them. And, you know, and I think, you know, for me personally, um, you know, for me, that's where spirituality comes into play is, you know, and everybody comes from different places and different belief systems. But, you know, for me, I always look at it like um, some things I, I can put on the shoulders of my, my wife and my best friend and some things I can put on the shoulders of my therapist. And sometimes I'm like the shoulders of the people around me like this will crush them. And so I, and so some things are more spiritual in nature that I deal with. I think that it's just it's, it's not about putting all your weight on one thing. It's about understanding where your weight is meant to go. Mm -hmm. um, and, and when you understand where some stuff is supposed to be on my shoulders, like yes. pressure is not a bad thing. When we sit and do these interviews that like, nobody ever talks about this, when you sit and do an interview, there's pressure. Like this is your podcast. There's a part of you that's like, now this does have to go well, because if I pick the wrong person, or if I don't ask the right questions or things don't go right, then this, um, it'll be a waste of time, or I'm not going to be able to that, like, there's a human element to doing this that people don't know you go through. Mm -hmm. So there's some pressure that is meant to be on your shoulders because that's what makes you great. And so it's understanding some stuff I'm meant to carry, but I'm not meant to carry it all. And the stuff I'm not meant to carry, who's supposed to carry it? Yes, for sure. I think even just thinking about, I know not everyone's spiritual or whatever, but for many people, um, when you are believing in some kind of higher power, whatever that looks like for you, for me, once you finally understand that the higher power is within you, then you realize, mm -hmm. yeah, some things are meant exactly for you to carry because mm -hmm. you are the higher power. You mm -hmm. are your soul here and your body here. So you are both pieces and you are carrying certain things so that you can progress. So mm -hmm. it's your inner self that is also pushing you and you mm -hmm. need your inner self to push you and coach you as well as your outer self who is trying to hold up a certain image. Mm, that's good. That's good. Um, and I and I think you know that also speaks to this concept of um, when I'm trying to become whole, when I'm trying to be a complete human, um, there there should be this level of consistency to me, right? And so what some what some people do is they like get around their spiritual circle and they're a spiritual person around their spiritual circle, and then they're an intellectual person around their intellectual circle, and they and they go back and forth. Yeah, but what about being whole? Like, what about being a, a, an intellectual, spiritual, uh, loud and quiet, shy and, and enthusiastic? Like, what if you're all of it that you're supposed to be at all times? And mm -hmm. I think that that kind of a fusing of like letting you be the real you is, is, is one of the, the, the healthiest things that you can do. Um, one of the things that I've learned how to, how to do more in, in this season of my life is be quiet. And, and the reason is because one thing you can't tell when you listen to me speak is that I'm an introvert. Um, and so I do not, I do not restore around people. Like if I'm always around people, I'm drained. I have to go off away from everybody else so that I can recharge and refocus and re-energize. And so I have to be okay with saying, I know that because I speak well, you think I want to speak all the time. 
but I don't. And Mm -hmm. so even, so in every circle, I'm learning how to just be quiet. And then when it feels right to speak, then I'll speak and then I'll be the wise person. I can be wise in every circle. I can be quiet in every circle and observe it in every circle. I can be courageous in every circle. I can acknowledge my fears in every circle. Like the more consistency that you can bring into your journey, the, 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 the less volatile you become. Mm. There's a level of predictability that people in your life want. I don't want to walk in the room and not know which Maurice is going to be sitting there. Is it going to be the Maurice that's happy or the Maurice that wants to, to, to punch me in the face, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I would walk in the room and go, Maurice is in the room. Maurice is always peace. <laughs> exactly. And Maurice is not perfect. And Maurice got some stuff going on. But Maurice always takes my life to a better place. Like, mm-hmm. I want there to be something consistent. And I think that when, you know, when you speak to that spiritual practice you have, that's part of the, the understanding that I am, I am a person who I resonate something. I, 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 I spark something. I um, evoke something at all times. And it's something that is deep to the core of others. And if I'm not aware of that, then I will hurt others, scar others, belittle others, betray others. And I don't even know. You are a much deeper human and a much deeper being than you understand. And, and that understanding is what can elevate you to another, another place in life. Absolutely. And I, that's uh, speaking a lot on making sure you're living your truth, but in the way of being your most authentic self and accepting that and embodying that. So when we talk about things, especially with like the self-growth journeys and the personal journeys or whatever, we talk a lot about boundaries and we talk about people pleasing. Well, in the same way, you said that you were talking a lot and now you are reserving your energy because you learn about yourself during these stages and you learn the best way you can also present yourself that's true to who you are. I realized it took me the longest that I'm very extroverted and I get a lot of energy from people. Mm-hmm. Um, I cannot be alone, not in the way that like of relationship wise alone, but literally for me, example, COVID was very hard because I don't get enough energy from other humans being in the room. Mm. And so just to quickly define introvert and extrovert for the listeners, mm-hmm. we're talking about where you're recharging your energy. So a lot of people confuse this with being outgoing, but it's not about being outgoing. It's about where you get your energy from. So you can have quiet people who are extroverts because they need to get energy from being around other people. For example, I need to go out to, I don't know, a park because then there are more people around. doesn't mean I even need to talk to them. So Mm -hmm. just wanted to clarify that part. But one thing I realized because I am very social and I also am an extrovert, I had been fulfilling the expectations of I need to talk all the time because Mm -hmm. I'm an extrovert and I'm social. And because Mm -hmm. basically then I would be carrying situations so often that I would feel drained. So what I did, because I still like to talk and I am an extrovert, I started being careful about who was getting my energy. Mm -hmm. I would only invest my energy and my time and my social skills and all these things into the people that mattered. And other people can exist around me, but those are not my main focus because that was the way that I could be my most authentic self all the time. I don't have to do things for other people while I'm in my zone. If I'm not hired to sit here and talk to everyone, I'm not required to talk to everyone. Mm. And just because I'm good at things doesn't mean I have to do them. 
Yes. Well, we were talking about the, the weights that we carry in life, right? And so what happens is we get so used to carrying other people's weight. Well, because I was born to speak or I was born to help people, I got to help everybody. Well, n- no, sometimes helping people is giving them permission to help their self. And so what I've had to learn is to not take on someone else's weight. Um, One of the ways you could talk about it, you have to take off the cape, right? Like we all, we all have this thing where, you know, under, underneath my button up shirt, I do, I do have my, my, my spandex, you know, you know, Superman outfit on under here. And so what happens is somebody goes, Oh my God, I'm having a hard day. And you go, I'll save you. Well, no, no, I can't save everybody. In fact, I'm not, I'm not convinced I can save anyone. I'm pretty sure that what I'm here for is to help people save their self. Right. And so at the end of the day, I, I, I think that you have to give yourself permission to not fix every situation. Um, I, I think one of the heaviest things for me that I had to learn was that I would sit in rooms and I would take on other people's problems and issues, they would walk out of the room feeling better and I would feel burdened. So now I'm walking around and I'm like, why do I feel so heavy? Why do I feel so distraught? Why am I so overwhelmed? Well, it's because Sally Sue came in the room, dumped all of her stuff on you. Some of it was spoken and some of it was unspoken and you took all of it on. And then you walked away going, well, I hope Sally Sue's going to be okay. I wonder if I should have said something different to Sally Sue. Maybe next time I see Sally Sue, I got to pray for Sally Sue. And I'm going on and on and on and on and on about Sally Sue. Now, I'm not saying don't do any of those things. If you feel like you're supposed to pray for her, pray for her. You feel like you're supposed to talk to her, talk to her. But why are you worrying? Hmm. And so sometimes you take on the worry of a person's problems and the burden that another person is meant to bear. To bear, Again, she has to figure out where she's actually supposed to put that weight. And I promise you, it ain't all supposed to be on me, right? Because I'm not going to be your higher power. Let's be very clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, <laughs> at the end of a day, I, I think that we need to stop trying to, to put the cape on and rescue everybody. Yes, help people when you can, serve people when you can, make a difference in people's life, but do it as a human, not a, not a hero. Mm-hmm. Give yourself I think that's, permission to be a hero, to, uh, to be a human. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I think that's the big difference with niceness and kindness. So recently I had someone ask me, because I had made a post saying, I am kind, but I am not nice. And they were like, mm-hmm. well, what do you mean by that? And I'm like, well, niceness, one, is that hero thing, but in a way it's also selfish. So you're being nice with the expectation of something from the other person, not because it's coming from the goodness of your heart. Mm-hmm. It's not because you think it's a good thing to do, but subconsciously you're doing it so you can get some kind of return out of it, whether it's going to be that they're going to like you, whether they're going to think this of you, that's what niceness is. But kindness is when you're doing it because you feel it is the good thing and the right thing to do. Yes. I, I remember the first time, uh, this is a ran, random thing to say, but I remember the first time I watched Iyanla Van Zant, right? And I remember that she tore into somebody helping save their life. And I was like, that is not nice, but that's the kindest thing you could have done for that person, right? There are times in life when, when my wife, her role in life when she's doing it right is to not be nice, but to be as kind as possible. And sometimes what that means is lovingly putting me in front of me, showing me where my mindsets are, showing me where my patterns are, showing me where my head's at and saying, hey, this needs to stop. 
it's not nice in that moment. Sometimes she's got to be stern. Sometimes she's got, but it's the kindest thing she could do because she doesn't want to see me suffer anymore. Compassion sometimes doesn't feel nice. When some of the people who are listening to this podcast, we said a couple of things and went, ooh, that hurt. See, the truth hurts. It stings. So I'm not always going to be nice to you. I don't think I'm here on, on earth to just be nice, but I'm going to be kind enough to keep it real. Mm. I'm going to be kind enough to, to, when you come talk to me, you know, I'm going to do the very best job that I can to be honest. And honesty is the kindest thing you can bring to a person's life, or at least mm. one of them. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's also the concept of setting the example for other people by me being honest, by me setting my boundaries, by me showing you these things, it allows the other people to come join and to do those things. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So set the example of what you're expecting from other people and what you're wanting and you're allowing them. You're not being mean or harsh. You're allowing them to also do the same for you. Yeah. I mean, we both need boundaries. You need boundaries for you. I need boundaries for me. One thing that I have to know is how powerful of a human I am. And sometimes you miss that. No, I'm powerful enough. I can walk into a room and if I'm in a bad mood and in a bad place, I can, I can wreck your day. So you have to make sure you have boundaries set up so that I can't do that. And, and I may not like to hear it that way or think of it that way, but it's the truth. So you need boundaries for me. I need boundaries for you. And as we teach each other how to interact with one another, we can ultimately get to a place of real love and respect, which is supposed to be the point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Setting the boundaries allows you to act from the authentic place instead mm -hmm. of the place that you're expecting that the other person will like you from or whatever it may be. But when you're doing that, then you know that they're liking you or they're dealing with you. And above all, they're respecting you and not the representative that you sent. Yes, I, I want to I sit down with you. I'm tired of sitting with your representative. And, mm -hmm. and aren't you tired of being the representative? And so at some point, we have to get to a place where authenticity, um, it, it rules the conversation and rules the relationship. But also to understand that authenticity then is the thing that is often challenged right? The more real you are, the more it will be obvious you need to change and grow. So I, I'm the person who sits in a conversation and I just tell on myself, yeah, sometimes I doubt so-and-so. Yeah, I struggle sometimes with thinking so. And people go, oh, you can't think that way. No, I can. And I do. And I'm telling you because I don't want to hide from it. Now let's talk about how I can get better. You know, that, that that's part of authenticity. Know that when you're your authentic self, that's the part that's going to be challenged the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, uh, like you were saying earlier with who is with the people that are, when you said about being consistent, when you're setting your boundaries correctly, that allows you to be consistent in mm -hmm. all cases, because you're being you in all cases. But when we decide that we're going to be a little bit more flexible here or seek more validation here, then you end up being inconsistent. But the reality is the more authentic you are, the more attractive you are to other people as well, because they actually want to be around that. You're consistent and they know what to expect from you. Yeah. And um, I think the, the, one of the kindest things you can do with a person who says, I want to be like you is say, great, then go be like yourself. Mm. Right? Like if you see me and you go, wow, how do I do that? Well, you get to know you. Right. Um, and I, I believe that we were talking about spirituality. I feel like, you know, step one of spirituality is you look inside. Right. And then from there, you figure out what inside is connected to. And so we all have different answers on what we think. And I have mine. But at the end of the day, like 
do you look inward and figure out who's in there? Like, do you know you? That's the start of the journey. And I don't want, I don't want people to be Maurice. Like, you're going to be a terrible imitation of me. I'm a terrible imitation, imitation of everybody that I admire. But I am, I am a beautiful, authentic version of me. I have nothing else to add to that. <laughs> but amazing, amazing, amazing stuff. But I want to get into a bit into your book. So tell me a bit about your book. Give me some background and what it's actually about. Sure, absolutely. So my book is called Your Butt is too big. Um, and you know, the, the book, it goes through seven principles of how to heal from past pain and, and it gives you the motivation to really walk into your purpose. So the first thing I do in the book is, as I start off by telling people about, um, one of my rock bottom moments, um, uh, my wedding night, I had, um, how do I say? I had a panic attack on my wedding night. <laughs> like went outside um, and I uh, and I just melted down and fell apart. And I was like, I can't be broken for the rest of my life. I can't keep doing this. Um, I had just gone through a lot of tragedy. My two of my brothers died in two years, and one of the, those deaths was three months before my wedding. And so I was deep in grief and deep in despair and in this dark place. And I went. I started a journey that night, and the journey was: I have to find something more. I have to find the life that I was born to live. I have to really get into purpose, and so. My book really gives you the empowerment to go on the journey for yourself. My book says, listen, you said you would work on these things, but you haven't. You said you would heal and grow and change, but it hasn't happened yet. Well, every time there's a but that we insert in what you said you would do, that's telling you your butt is too big. And so what you have to do is you have to figure out what's happened to you. You have to figure out what you've been through. And then you have to do that journey of healing through the pain and growing through the tragedy and the disappointment. As you do those things, it builds your faith. It, it builds your confidence and your character. And it takes you closer to that purpose that you were born to live. And so that's really the purpose of your butt is too big. It's just to, to help you go on your own journey. It's a heavy book. Um, at, at, let's put it this way. When my editor worked on the book, she gave me the deadline. She said, okay, I'll, I'll have the book to you by such and such a Friday. And the deadline came and she said, Maurice, I'm really sorry. Um, I'm a little behind. I'll get to you. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, what's going? are we going to make it in time? Is my book going to be ready? She said, Maurice, can I tell you what actually happened? I said, okay. She said, I started reading your book and I realized there's some stuff I hadn't dealt with. And I had to slow down on the editing process and I had to heal a little bit. And I went, whoa. So I think that this book is for anyone who realizes that you haven't healed all the way from what you've been through. I'm going to be honest. I'm just going to put it out there. There's no secrets, right? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, okay? So when you read the book, there's going to be some scriptures inter interspersed in there, but you guys can already hear how I speak. So you're going to hear some stuff that just sounds like philosophy and life and wisdom, and you're going to see it. I, I back it up with my belief system. Um, and so it's a journey. It's going gonna, it's gonna to kick your butt. It's probably going to make you mad. It's going to make you angry, and hopefully it will, it will give you the confidence and the courage to change the things you said you already would change. That's the whole point of my book. Mm. And looking at that, uh, something 
that I think would be great for us to address for especially people starting their journey or in their journey. What would you say to the people when they're getting mad? If they pick up your book, they read about two chapters and then they're like, I'm so upset with this. How do you address that? Because of course we know as coaches how to deal with that, but Mm -hmm. we're not there talking to them. So what would you say to them? Don't waste it. You, you have, you have all this extra emotion and all this extra energy and you've been stirred up. What are you going to use it for? If you take all that extra energy and you use it to propel you into purpose, that's the point. Um, if you, if you were only to get two chapters into my book, my second chapter is called the marathon mindset. And the entire thing I talk about in that chapter is you are not in a sprint. You are in a marathon. I know that you want to spin around in a circle, click your heels three times and have the magical miracle moment of transformation happen. Good luck. Okay. Um, because even like when I, when I pick up my Bible and I read it, let me tell you something. I see a moment where somebody's life changes. I don't see the rest of their life. So even if you have a miracle moment, you still have a whole journey ahead of you. And yeah, that's going to make you mad. What do you mean? Why don't you just tell me how I can get fixed now? Well, that's, that would be a lie. See, I don't want to give you like your truth. I want to give you the truth. That's, that's what I said. Right. So yeah, if you get mad, if you get in your feelings, do something with it, go journal about it, go talk to a therapist about it, start the book. You said you were going to write, go, go get in the gym. Like you said, you were going to go to do something with the feelings instead of letting the feelings fester. That Mm. is the key. Yeah. It's uh, there is a reason why you are mad. Mm-hmm. So do something with that reason, because that reason isn't going to go anywhere by just stopping the process, by just going back into denial, even though the responsibility is always there for that's your change. And, and, and I should, and I, I guess I should have said that do something positive that's going to help you long term. Part of the problem is that we learn how to get instant gratification So we learn to turn to things that make us feel better in a moment, but we feel miserable later. So, I mean, I, I, I had a problem with alcohol and I was high every day and I, and I was sleeping with a different woman every night. And I had, I had a lot of stuff in my twenties. Right. And the reality is all the things that I turned to made me feel good now. And I felt terrible the next day. Well, when you're really changing and transforming some things you turn to, you won't feel that much better right now. It's sometimes when I go write in a journal or I go and I pray or I go for a walk or I go talk to somebody, sometimes I feel like a tiny, teeny bit better now, but because I keep doing the right thing over time, I see the transformation three months later. I see the change four months later. It's a year later that I go, whoa, I finally got through that. See, that's not the same as 30 seconds of, of taking a shot. That's not the same thing as, you know, two hours of doing the wrong thing. This is about making sure two years from now, you're happy with the choice you made. And so if you feel some type of way, use it. Keep reading, keep focusing, let it shoot, put my book down, give my book to somebody you think it'll help pick up the book you think you need to read and read that one. I don't care what you do, do something to help you grow. Mm, Yes. I wanted to address because you said you've also worked with addictions and I know um, I have friends where I can observe this in them as well. Let's talk a bit about using things like alcohol or whatever it may be as a distraction or a coping mechanism instead of doing the work and how this could benefit your life instead. Mm. Can I hurt somebody's feelings? 
let's widen <laughs> let's widen it because I want somebody to feel this. Okay, if you turn to booze, if you turn to donuts, if you turn to sex with people you know you're not supposed to be sleeping with that that always bring you drama, trauma, and pain. If you turn to binge watching a TV show that leaves you feeling wrecked, but you watch it anyway because at least it ain't your life. Any of the things that you turn to to distract yourself from destiny is something you need to deal with. So in other words, if I'm running from what I feel, where am I going and why am I going there? I, I should be running to a place that is actually safe where I can grow and deal. If I'm running to a place that just leaves me spinning my wheels, that's not the place to run. And so I think it's easy to go, well, you know, I'm, I'm not dealing with substances, so I'm not having a problem. Yeah, but are you a workaholic? Like, are you, are you working 80 hours a week and, and your spouse is saying, baby, I just want you home, but you never want to come home because you just have to accomplish the next thing. So you feel better about yourself because once you feel that and then and you have all these reasons why you're stuck. So I don't care if you're turning to, I don't care if you're turning to Hennessy or if you're turning to your career or if you're turning anything that you're turning to in a toxic way, you need to evaluate and what I want to tell you about that is that, again, you can't do that evaluation a lot of times by yourself. Sit down with somebody you trust and say, here's the issue. I keep running. I'm always on the move. The moment that I slow down, I'm uncomfortable and I don't know why. See, I just described a whole bunch of people who are listening to this podcast. If you can't slow down, there's a reason. You have to deal with the reason. This, the last year of my life has been probably the hardest year of my life of um, not because of, tr of tragedy. Like I've had that. I've sat still more in the last year than any other year of my life. And at times I was crawling out of my skin. I, my business wasn't really growing. I wasn't doing a whole lot. And I knew it was because I had to sit down, take care of my family, and I had to prepare for the next season of my life. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. Maurice, why do you have a hard time sitting down? Maurice, why do you have a hard time being still? Maurice, what's wrong with this moment? And so if there's anything I can tell you, if you're turning to something, if you're running to something, don't demonize what you're running to. Strategize what you're running from. That was, a, that was mm. I, I wish that was in my book. Oh, I wish that I was. <laughs> Oh, I wish that was in there. Don't, don't just simply make, make what you're, what you're running to the demon, like strategize how to get away from what it is you're running to. I think that's the key. Oof. Just, mm, 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 mm. that is, that will be a replay for sure, because that <laughs> is so good. That is so good. So tell me about more. I have nothing to add to that because I was just so good. And People use distractions for a lot of reasons, but don't bother to figure out the reasoning. They just say, I'm addicted. I'm addicted. I have a question. Have you ever dealt with uh, depressed uh, depression? Oh, clinically depressed people? Absolutely. Um, how so, would you? Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to ask in the same light, how do you address depressed people? Because I know I have a few depressed friends who don't feel heard and whatnot. And I haven't had clinical depression. I mean, I've had moments of depression effects, but not the same level. Mm -hmm. How would you suggest for those people to start on their journey? Because sometimes I feel, um, I can understand why they feel unheard, but 
how would you, I, I don't work with depressed people. So how would you talk to those people into getting them to even bother starting on their journey? Because often I feel that they're just sitting in the comfort of it. And that's what we as outsiders that aren't depressed see. The same way. I don't, I don't have magic words. Okay. You're depressed. What are you going to do about it? So I don't, I don't see it any differently. Okay. And, and there's a reason for that. It's, and it's not to be insensitive. Um, I, I sit in front of people um, who they are not only depressed, but suicidal all the time. Um, they walk into a room. There's no hope in their eyes. There's no light in their eyes. They are just contemplating how much longer do I have to be here? Well, first of all, what I'm going to tell you is that this looks familiar to me. I've seen it in the mirror. Okay. And so I know what it feels like. And yes, you feel like nobody's listening. Here's the problem. Is the problem that nobody's listening or the problem that you're not listening to yourself? So sometimes what I have to do is I have to listen to myself talk and then I have to challenge it. Just because your mind is attacking you doesn't mean you're supposed to let it keep doing it. And, and there is a choice, even when I'm dealing with depression or anxiety, when you are in the midst of depression and your mind is saying you're worthless, you're terrible, you're miserable, you're awful. Okay. When a person comes up to me and they say, well, this has been happening. I say, okay, how many times have you done affirmations today? How many times have you done gratitude today? How many times have you prayed today? Like I'm, I'm going to ask you for action and, and the thing is, people go, well, I haven't because I didn't feel like it. No, no, you're never going to feel like doing the right thing. See, that's what we already said. Mm. So my thing is, the first thing you need to do, if you feel like you're not heard, maybe it's because you're also not hearing the people who are talking to you. So you go up to a person and you say, oh, I feel like this and I feel like I'm in the gutter and I feel like this. And a person says, but you're, you're smart and you're intelligent and you're brave and you're courageous and you can do this. And you go, you don't get it. No, no. They don't get your depression, but they do get you. See how that's the same thing as the addiction? So now what you have to do is you have to do the work to focus your mind and focus your heart on what they're seeing about you that you're choosing to not see about yourself. What, what do I have? I, can I write down three things about me that are positive, even though I don't feel them at this moment? Like things I know. And then can I remind myself of them when my mind starts to attack me? Can I practice gratitude today? When, my, when the warfare starts to hit my brain, can I say, yeah, it's, it's true that I got fired from my last job, and, but, but I'm thankful that I have some time because I probably needed some time away from work anyway. I was beat up and I was broken down and I'm thankful that at least I have time. Can you find the gratitude within the pain? See, that is a practice. It feels weird at first. It's uncomfortable at first. Can you build gratitude muscles? Can you build affirmation muscles? Can you be ultimately that all builds your faith muscles? So my thing is you will never overcome depression doing nothing because something, there's a war that is being waged on your mind in depression. There's a war that is being waged on your heart. Are you going to choose to fight back or not? So yes, Take, if, the, if a doctor prescribes you the medication, take the medication. But, but medication never stops all of the problem. Why is that? Because you're part of the solution. Mm, take that power. Take the power. It's, it's been given to you. You have, a, you have a choice and you have to choose. So when I was in the midst of my depression, I remember sitting in, in a therapist's office um, 
And at one, and I was, I remember being, being in one at 21 years old, my life had just literally fallen apart in every way, shape and form. And I was crying and I had, I failed out of school. Like I failed out of college. Like my life fell apart and I'm sitting in this therapist's office and I bare my soul. And she says, but Maurice, do you see how strong you are? Like, do you see what you have inside of you? And I looked at this woman like she was crazy. I said, do you, did you not hear my story? I wasn't strong enough to go to class anymore. I wasn't strong enough to deal with my issues. I wasn't, and she said, Maurice, but look at who you are. I walked out of that woman's room and never went back. Okay, well, now I'm 39 years old. Okay, it's been 18 years. So that, that lesson has had enough time to become a grown young man. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just thought of that. That just hit mm-hmm. me. She let me know that who I was was bigger than my circumstances. Woo! I'm sorry. I'm yelling. I know I'm on a, on a loud microphone. She told me that day that who I was was bigger than what I was going through if I could just stare at who I was instead of staring at how I felt. I'm going to say that again because somebody needs to hear it. If you will stare at who you really are, your identity, instead of staring at how you feel, it will help you grow past how you feel. Mm-hmm. Feeling depressed versus I am depressed. I am right. a depressed person. Yeah, yeah. I ain't taking none of that on. I don't. Yeah. The words have power, and I'm not about to empower that I am sickness, that I am brokenness. No, I'm not. I'm none of yeah. those things. I'm Maurice. Exactly. <laughs> so I have a question. How would you describe yourself if I said, "Who are you?" I'm Maurice. What does that mean? Uh, it means a million things. <laughs> it's so loaded. It's loaded because um, I heard I heard um, Bishop T.D. Jake said something one day, and it, it changed my life. He said, never let men place a period where God placed a comma, okay? And so mm. what I took for that is that, like, if you asked me that question 10 years ago, I would have said, Maurice is a musician. Maurice was put on this earth to make music. That's why I'm here. Well, I could tell you now, like Maurice, Maurice is here to change people's lives and Maurice is here to make a difference. But like that, that doesn't do it either. I could say Maurice is a father. Maurice is a husband. Maurice loves Maurice, but that doesn't do it. And so I, I love in the Bible, like, and I know that this is like, this is such a vague answer, but I read in the Bible, there's this moment where God is talking to Moses and Moses says, hey, um, who should I say sent me? And he says, I am that I am, right? I am understanding that Maurice is. He is, he is creative. He is intelligent. He's a speaker. He's an author. He's a coach. He's a, a son. He's a father. He's a, a husband. Maurice is a shepherd. Uh, Maurice preaches. He teaches. He prophesies. Maurice does all these things. But at the end of the day, Maurice is Maurice. Maurice is broken. Maurice is healed. Maurice is healthy. Maurice needs some work. Like Maurice is. And when I let myself just be me, that's what truly lets me walk in the fullness of my, my real identity. When I'm not trying to be Maurice the speaker, when I'm not trying to be, like, I feel so comfortable doing this interview. Like, I'm like you know, I'm going to say whatever I need to say. We were talking before the interview. I said, oh, you don't got to give me that much prep. Let's just go, right? Like, Maurice just is. And I feel like the days when I don't try to define me, when I just try to be me, it defines itself. Mm-hmm. There, there's a freedom in that that I can be there's moments where I'm I'm and this is the last thing I'll say I'll be in this room 
I live, I, I don't live in like a huge place. I live in an apartment. And so my kids will be in the next room over. They're not here right now. And so I'll be on a, in a coaching session with a life coaching client and I'm in the trenches with them and they're crying and we're going through it. And I finish and I go, okay, I don't have another appointment for an hour. And I walk into the room and my kids go, Daddy! and then I'm on the floor and I'm spinning my son in a circle. And I'm like, Hey baby, how you doing? Is everything going? Okay. This is it. And then I make myself some food and I'm like, okay, I got to go back to coach. And my wife's like, okay, baby, change the world. And I walk back into the room and I'm like, okay, let's have a conversation. And, well, which one was the real me? All of it. I'm everything. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I'm, I'm Maurice. I love it. I love it. I actually love that you said all of that because most of the time when, like you said, when you ask someone, who are they? They respond with their job. I I would say 90% of the time they're responding with their job, but you are not your job. You do your job, but who are you under that, right? Use the other words that you would put on your resume that I, I manage things. I do these things, but the reality in the end is you are you. And the more you, you embrace, you realize that you can be multidimensional. You have all these dimensions of you and you don't have to define it the way that society has told you to define it. You don't have to define it the way your family is trying to tell you. You are you and there are aspects of you that exist all at the same time. And you don't have to do all of them or display all of them at the same time. But in the same way you said, you go from being a super coach to being a dad and it's still you in all cases. Mm -hmm. And this is one great thing about when you become yourself, I think that a lot of people don't get is the, you become so you that, so we're positive people, correct? But that also means that when bad things are happening, we're able to support ourselves because- we know who we are and the more you know who you are and that you're continually developing, it makes it a lot easier to accept everything because everything is a continuous development. And that's why it's a journey. Yeah. I, I you know there's, you know, I, I want people to hear this. Um, the, my words, even they're, they're not, and I know your words aren't either. Like my words aren't because I woke up one morning and I was this way, you know, and I was five and, and I've been like this all my whole life. That's not it. This is like the product of work. I'm the evidence of having gone through something. I remember um, sitting in a room with someone. Um, this was, it wasn't even that long ago. This was 2018, I want to say. Yeah, 2018. And I was in the room with somebody. Um, and this was actually my, fr- <laughs> it was my first coaching client. Okay. Uh, my first coaching client was actually someone that I worked with. And um, she walked into an office one day and she said, I don't know why, but I feel like my higher power is telling me, like, I got to start doing some work with you. You're going to coach me. And I said, OK. Um, and she was um, probably 20, 30 years older than me and um, had a lot of wisdom. And so one day she came into a room and we had a session and she looked at me afterwards and she was a very honest woman. And she said, I'm going to tell you something. Don't waste my time no more. I said, what? She said, you, you, you did all the right things. You was asking me all the right questions, but something is missing from you. And I didn't come here for that. And I said, okay. And she said, I'm going to tell you something and I want you to hear me. And I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, God don't want nothing from you, but for you to be Maurice. And I said, well, what does that even mean? And she said, well, you got to go figure it out and walked out of my office. And so I feel like I spent the last several years of my life trying to figure out what does it mean to just be Maurice? Mm. And, mm. and I feel like that's the only reason I can give that answer. 
because I'm learning how to just be Maurice. Yes, absolutely. I think it's also a matter of you can recognize it in other people as well. You start to see it. I had a friend one time who was asking me about like recently, she was asking me about dating. And I was like, oh, yeah, I really only want to date someone who has like worked on themselves. And she's like, how how do you know? How do you how do you have that standard? And I was like, well, the more you know yourself, the more you can see whether someone else knows themselves or not. I can't explain yes. it to you. Because you'll know when you go work on yourself, you can mm-hmm. meet someone and immediately know it. There's no mm-hmm. like, no rubric or checklist I take out that I go, okay, this is what they do. But yeah. there's certain things that reflect that. Yeah, absolutely. We, because in the end, you know, any, any relationship I get in is just going to be exposure. <laughs> it's going to expose something in me and something in them that they need to see and I need to see. And so if you're not working in yourself, I'm going to see it because like the more I'm around you, it's going to come out. So what I would rather be is around a person that when it comes out, instead of you being resentful, you, you, you take a resounding yes to working on it. I think that's the key. Yes, you have problems, you have flaws, you have issues, you ain't perfect. But are you just going to say, well, that's just me and who I am? Or are you going to say, okay, I see that. It's not me. So I can work on it. Mm. That's the key. Like, you're not your flaws. (laughs) Hear that again. (laughs) That's why you can work on them. Because they're not, it's just, nobody is perfect. I I stopped trying to be perfect a long time ago. When I realized I was in in a journey of being perfected, my life changed. I don't need to be perfect. I'm being perfected by the things mm-hmm. I go through. That's a, see, that's a mindset. Oh, Absolutely. I, perfect. Reframing the things. Yes. I haven't been perfect in this interview. Like what is perfection? If you really are listening, there's times when you're talking and I speak too fast and I jump over the words. I'm like, oh, there's times when I said something, I went, ah, that's not how I wanted to say that. I could have said that different. Like there's not been perfection. But what there has been is a level of authenticity between you and I going back and forth where you can tell you're being you and I'm being me. And that's where the beautiful conversation comes from. Mm -hmm. Love it. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much. And so I don't want to take all your time, but I want to give you one last question here. What is something you, so we have the phrase, you practice what you preach. What is something that you preach, but still find it very hard to practice? Ooh, what, why are you trying to get in my feelings and in my <laughs> business? Don't be in my business. Ooh, what is the thing? I think that um, one of the things that I've struggled with the most is finding the courage to do what feels impossible. Mm. Um, we were talking before this interview started about the fact that in my studio, like I have like this really nice setup now, right? And my setup, I already had the microphone and the lights are Christmas lights and I bought a $50 light. So I spent- The setup looks great, by the way. (laughs) I spent $50 on my setup. Um, And so how come I didn't do this a year ago? How come I didn't do it six months ago? How come, how come I didn't put things together when I first had the idea? How, what, 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 why did I lack execution? And sometimes it's because we, we become afraid to walk into our greatness. And so there are times when the fear and the what ifs keep me out of what I call obedience. You know, I believe that, um, uh, you know, I'm a believer in the whole concept of obedience is greater than sacrifice. So when you believe you're, there's something you're meant to do, like, I, this, I am meant to really do this. 
but you find yourself sacrificing it to do other things, why are you sacrificing it? And it's usually because of fear. Um, my book probably could have been done a year ago or six months ago, but I was scared. I, I went months at a time not writing. I went months at a time not di- because it was going to cost me something. So I would say that today I feel like I'm fully walking in faith and courage. And I have not always done that, though I preach it all the time. Mm. I have mm. the, f- and I would also say, and here's the last thing I'll say about it I've had to learn that we have faith in facets of life. So in some parts of my life, I've had extreme faith. I've had extreme courage, but there's, you used the word earlier, but there's the blind spots. And so I'm learning how to find faith to go handle the blind spots. Sometimes people pointed out the blind spots and I didn't want to deal with them. But Maurice, you know, that's connected to something. Yeah, but Maurice, you know, there's a reason for this. Yeah, but Maurice, you know, when you were six. Yeah, but Maurice, you know, when you were a teenager. And I go, I'm not ready for that yet. Mm. Okay, well, when are you going to be ready? Because you can only deal with it now. So it's practicing what I preach in that way. And I feel like I'm doing that today. And if I, as long as I keep doing it today, as long as it's today, I'll be okay. When tomorrow comes, it'll be today. So as long as I do it today, I think I'll be all right. But that's my answer. Amazing. Amazing. Don't let the butts get in your way. Don't let them get in the way. I love it. (laughs) Oh, fear controls us all the time. And we all have those blind spots, but Yes, I totally agree and totally understand. Well, thank you so, so, so much for being on today. Can you please give us details on where to get your book and also details on where to find you? Sure, absolutely. Um, So first of all, you can find the book on Amazon. I don't know when you're listening to this interview. So by now the book may be sold everywhere, but I'm I'm initially just launching on Amazon. Um, You can check out yourbuttis2big.com. And when you get there, um, there's a link so you can... get to my my new Facebook community. Um, I'm doing a a new five-day video series to where if you want to pick me up, it's called The Realist You. uh, And it's literally about this authenticity we've been talking about, five days where I jump on a camera and I speak life. So find me your buttistoobig.com, find the book on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Um, reach out to me if you have questions, mauricefmartin.com. I'm uh, Marie, at Maurice F. Martin on all social media. So come find me, come ask me questions. Let's talk. Um, I'd love to hear from you. Amazing. Thank you so much. This, is a one, this has been one of my favorite interviews so far. Thank you. And I hope you have a wonderful day. All the listeners, thank you for tuning in today. I will leave all of his information in the show notes and I hope you have a wonderful week.